let's open our Bibles tonight um, to Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. <clears throat> and we'll, uh, we'll be in verse 26. Luke chapter number one. In verse number 26, um, I was thinking about what to preach. Obviously, some of this came up last minute due to um, the situation there with the family. And I kind of had two options. It was preach a Christmas message or preach the last message in my Revelation series on the church of Laodicea about materialism. I don't know about you. I thought, let's go with the Christmas message around Christmas um, materialism would have been a fun spin on a Christmas message, but uh, uh, I decided to go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter number 1, and I want to read just a few of the verses. We'll actually cover through verse 38 tonight, and uh, I'll read just a few of those. We'll have a word of prayer, ask God to bless the message tonight, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll really discover what uh, Luke was trying to communicate here in chapter number one. Uh, look, look up with me at verse 26, Luke chapter one, verse 26, and we'll read a few verses here. It says, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, hail, Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And I, I, I'm really interested by Mary's response in this passage. Here's what it says in verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. I've titled the message tonight, God of the impossible. We serve a God of the impossible. Let's pray tonight. Father, I pray, God, that you'd bless this message. Um, Lord, it's my desire um, that I do my very best to communicate what you gave to Luke, and God, show how that is so, so relevant to us today, not just during the Christmas season, but God, with everyday life struggles we face, this passage uh, can really help us tonight. God, I pray you'd use it. Uh, use your Holy Spirit to speak to people in a way that I could never prepare for, or that I could never write a sermon that would totally touch their heart. God, your Holy Spirit can do that. And so I pray your blessing on this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I will never forget the summer after my freshman year, um, because my brother, I, I have two older brothers, my brother, during that summer after my freshman year, proposed to me the most outrageous impossible, and outlandish plan I've ever heard out of the mouth of my brother, and that's saying a lot. Now, if you know me, um, Potsy makes fun of me a little bit, because I tend to be a kind of a narrow guy, a straight-laced guy. Potsy says I'm uptight. I don't know if that's true, um, but maybe it is. But everything I am, my brother Dana, the middle of the three, is the exact opposite. Um, Dana's the free-spirited one. Dana's the live life by the seat of your pants kind of guy. And so when Dana graduated high school, um, I went to my freshman year, he went to senior year. When he graduated, you know, a lot of people take senior trips, right? 
You know, the, the average person will say, well, I want to go to, you know, D.C. and tour for a week or go with grandma and grandpa to some cool place or, you know, go on some school trip. Not Dana. Um, Dana, for his senior trip, he went to Italy. Now, that sounds really cool, but I didn't tell you the rest of it. He went to Italy in the summer to work. Now, pay attention to this. With sled dogs. You heard me right. Sled dogs. Like Iditarod Siberian Husky sled dogs. Who does that? Who goes to Italy in the summer to work with sled dogs? That gives you an idea of the type of guy my brother is. And so, um, as most brothers do, we hated each other growing up, right? Um, you know, we both played lacrosse, and uh, no joke, times where he'd take the lacrosse stick in our front yard and beat me with it, like that type of brotherhood relationship. But when Dana was gone for three or four months uh, the summer after my freshman year, I think it both dawned on us that we actually liked each other. And uh, back in the day, this was, um, you know, at, right after we'd actually gotten a cell, our first cell phone, but you know, he's international, and so there's international rates you deal with. So we both discovered um, email and instant messenger. And I remember that my brother and I were instant messaging back and forth. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like texting over the internet. Um, that's what instant message is. And so we're going back and forth. And one day during the summer, uh, my brother and I, who uh, were bonding over the internet, if that's a thing, um, he proposed to me that he and I should sign up for the Yukon River Quest. Now, many of you living in southwest Kansas, just like me, a, a boy in Tucson, Arizona, probably have no idea what the Yukon River Quest is. The Yukon River Quest is none other than the longest kayak race in the world. 444 miles in the Yukon, Alaska, Canada, what could be better than that for two boys who grew up in Tucson where there's not a single flowing river all year? That's my brother. Mike, let's do the Yukon River Quest. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a how guy. Oh, hold on a second. You know, if anyone says, hey, let's do this, I'm like that, that annoying person is like, what time? Where? What are we going to do? You know, that type of person. Give me the details now, now, now. And so my brother says, hey, let's do the Yukon River Quest. And I had a lot of questions. I said, Dana, um, <laughs> he, he comes up with this type list of equipment we'll need. Uh, that tells you this guy was nerding out on kayak equipment on Google. I mean, he had, like, here's the price of the kayak we need. We're going to need these type of boots, and here's how much they'll cost. I mean, this guy spent an ungodly amount of time researching how we do this kayak race. And the first question that comes to mind when I see this list that totals like $10,000 in equipment is, hold on a second. I have a job at Mama's Pizza as a dishwasher. You're working internship for a guy who raises sled dogs. How are we going to afford this? But my brother, not one swayed by any sort of doubts, says, bro, if you know my brother, it's bro and dude. Dude, we could get sponsorships, okay? Um, hold on a second. How are we going to get sponsorships when we're 
in Tucson. We've never touched a river with a kayak in our entire life. And of course, he had an answer ready for that. Bro, who wouldn't sponsor two guys from Tucson doing the Yukon River Quest? I, I don't know about you. I think he watched the movie Cool Runnings a few too many times. Where the Jamaican bobsled team somehow does well in the Olympics. And uh, how ridiculous, I mean, how ridiculous is that? Come on. Um, and I'm not kidding. That actually happened. I pulled up the transcript in my Gmail account today. And as, as weird and outlandish as it sounds for a, a teenage boy to tell another teenage boy from Arizona, let's do a 444-mile kayak race. A lot of times we forget that when Gabriel came to Mary and told her, you are going to conceive as a virgin, that Mary's response would have been pretty similar to ours to something like I told you. It her thoughts would have been, this is outrageous, and it's so ridiculous that it's almost funny. I want you to join me tonight, and I want us to look in Luke chapter 1, and I hope that you don't allow the familiarity of this passage to... Um, maybe drown out what it's really trying to speak to us. And I hope that tonight, here's what we can do, that when we really dive into the script and we really dig ourselves into the passage, that we're going to discover and learn a lot about our tendency as people to doubt God's plan for us. But what's even better about Luke chapter 1 is that while we may understand our doubts about God's plan, I, I love this part of Luke chapter 1, we're going to discover a lot about the big God that we get to serve. And so let's look at verse 26 together. It says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now I want you to pay attention to verse 27. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, the idea of espousal, it's kind of like engagement. But in their day, when you got a spouse to someone, it was more than just you gave them a pretty ring to say, I want to marry you. Espousal was a legally binding agreement. Um, you signed a contract with the person. Uh, so you understand it's a little stronger than engagement. And so Joseph had not only proposed to Mary, but had signed a legally binding contract that they were going to get married. Um, in the biblical times, you didn't mess around with wedding planning. You know those people were engaged for like five years? Um, that didn't happen in Luke chapter 1 days, okay? When you got espoused, the wedding planning started immediately, and the wedding planning was serious, all right? In, in our culture, a wedding is like 12 hours at the most. In their culture, the wedding was like several days, and you can imagine that there's a lot of planning. So I want you to imagine where Mary's at in her life, right? She's just this young lady. Uh, many people say that maybe she was around teenage years because uh, that's when a lot of young Jewish ladies were married off. And, and you, you, many of you ladies have been there, right? You're engaged. Um, you're in love. Um, we, we don't know if they're in love. A lot of these marriages were arranged. But um, you're engaged to be married. There's this big wedding event coming up. You're going to host all of your friends and family and put on a multi-day party. I would imagine that Mary was in wedding planning mode. 
She was one of those brides. You ever met those brides that have like the big thick booklets? Like, okay, what flavor of cupcakes are we going to have? This is a big life decision. And, and who's going to cater? And, and what kind of flowers are we going to have? That's Mary. I mean, here she is. She's, she's registering for her wedding registry at Bed Bethlehem and beyond. And she's looking for the wedding dress at King David's bridal, all while looking at her finger and excited about the ring because he went to Jericho. I spent five minutes riding. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Some of you are like, please preach the Bible and not try to be a comedian. <laughs> Hashtag dad joke. And so here's Mary. She's espoused to this man named Joseph, and totally out of the blue, she gets a pregnancy announcement. Look at verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. So here the angel Gabriel, which we see in other passages, it kind of reveals that to us, pops in on Mary. Now, I don't, I don't know how this looked. I mean, he's an angel, so I don't know if he just, like, appeared, like, just showed up randomly in her house, or he knocked at the door and, and she opened the door, and here's this angel. But the angel Gabriel announces this, Hail, rejoice, you're highly favored among wi women. He says, God is with you. Um, God has blessed you. You are approved by God. And here's what's interesting to me. Mary's response to Gabriel. Because you've got to understand, if you look in, in the book of Daniel, um, when Gabriel appeared unto Daniel, who was... You know the guy who spent a night in a den of lions? That guy? When the angel Gabriel appeared unto Daniel, Daniel, the Bible says, he fell on his face, fearing for his life. And here's this teenage girl. Same angel appears unto her. I would imagine startles her with this message that, hey, God favors you. And look at her response. Her response is not fear. She's just confused. Look at verse number 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Mary's not scared. She's just flat out confused. Like, who is this guy? Why is he in my house? Um, what does he mean I'm favored with God? Uh, and the, the idea there literally is she's having this internal dialogue with herself. Um, that's the idea there behind the second half of that verse. She's having this internal dialogue and trying to figure things out. And it's as if Gabriel like anticipated that Mary's not quite connecting the dots. And so he goes on in verse number 30. Look what he tells Mary. He says, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Then he kind of explains. He says, and behold... Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great. The son of the, he shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Uh, it, it, you couldn't be a, any sort of Jewish person, Hebrew person, and hear that and not get the understanding um, that the angel's not just talking about some regular baby. He, he's talking about the promised Savior. 
Now, I mean, Jesus, that was kind of a common name. It meant deliverer or savior. It came from the Hebrew word for Joshua. So maybe by verse 31, she's not really picking up on that. But verse 32, it's unmistakable. He says, he shall be great. That word there is the same idea of someone who's famous. Someone who's well-known. And he says, he shall be the son of the highest. Well, that, that's pretty obviously talking about God. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Now, Mary came from the lineage of David, but she certainly wasn't royalty, right? Uh, she, she came uh, from David. Um, Jesus would have been from the lineage of David, but certainly Mary and Joseph were not royalty. But then look at verse 33. It's unmistakable that this is not some earthly king. This is the son of God who is eternal. He says, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. All the great kings died, and their kingdom came to an end. David died, his kingdom came to an end. Solomon died, his kingdom came to an end. Josiah died, his kingdom came to an end. But here's the angel talking to Mary. Your son will be royalty, and his kingdom will not have an end. But what cracks me up is Mary got stuck on verse 31. He's like, okay, yeah, son of God, yeah, eternal king, that's cool. But then Mary's like, well, hold on a second, angel. I'm still stuck on the pregnant part. Look at verse 34. Literally, this is exactly how she responds. And then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Um, Gabriel, I'm pregnant? Hold on a second. That just doesn't line up biologically um i know i'm a spouse to a man um but we're not married it might be several months to a year i'm guessing she was really confused because he's kind of talking like she's either pregnant right now or about to be pregnant and i'm guessing maybe there's nine plus months away maybe from their wedding so she's she's like hold on a second um can you just explain to me how this lines up i, I like to say it this way um, maybe some of you can identify with this. Mary got hung up on the how. God, I like, I like your plan, but I really don't understand the process of how we're going to get there. You say, yes, I'm going to be the mother of God's son, and, and he's going to be this amazing person. And I still can't wrap my mind around why Mary didn't get hung up on that part. But here she is. She says, hold on. Before I really wrap my mind around the fact that the Savior is going to be my kid... I really don't understand how I'm going to get from point A to point B. Please explain to me, Gabriel, how me, Virgin Mary, is going to have a baby. You ever felt like you got a little hung up on the how in God's plan? I don't know about you, but I think of our invitation times. And I think of how there are people that come to our altars, and I'm so thankful for the culture that's here, that people respond and they come forward, church, you will not, I don't think you'll always understand what that means. Um, I was just talking to one of our new members yesterday, and they said, you know, in a lot of churches, I, I was worried about praying in public and all of that because I felt like I'd be judged, but I came to fellowship, and it's just the norm. People come and pray at the altar, and so they said, I just feel comfortable coming down and praying and responding to God publicly. But you know, I would reckon for every time for every person that's at this altar, submitting themselves to God, praying to God, making a decision to, to God, 
that there's probably one in the seats who can't figure out the how. God, I, I know what you've told me, but I can't quite figure out how to get there. God, I know you want me to share the gospel. I know you want me to be a light unto my friends, but I'm a little hung up on, um, hold on a second, do you know the person I work with? Um, do you know this family member that I'm around? God, do you understand what my personality is like? I mean, I have a hard enough time telling people about my vacation, let alone my Savior. We get hung up on the how, don't we? Church, would you agree that God's plans seem to only include impossibilities sometimes? That every time God leads us to do something, as people, we can't help but think, that's impossible, that's impossible, there's no way I can do that, there's no way I can get that done. God, you're calling me to give and tithe and give 10% of my income, but God, I'm having a hard enough time on the 100%. God, could you please explain to me how when I cut out 10% of my income, I'm going to be able to pay 100% of my bills? God, could you explain to me how I'm going to mend this relationship that it just doesn't seem like it's going to work out? can't help but people who are here who are burdened about family members. You have a son, a daughter, a friend, a, maybe someone who used to sit next to you in church, maybe even a spouse, and, and you know in your heart they are not even close to God in any way, shape, or form. They're far away from God. They're estranged from God maybe even mad at God. And I'm thankful, church, that I know what God's plan is for those people. God wants to restore them. God wants to reach out to them. God wants to pursue them. God wants to draw them unto himself. But I don't know about you, but I can't help but wonder as I pray for the people like that in my life, God, I have no idea how you're going to make that happen. Anyone with me? I want to pray in faith. I do. But sometimes, if I could just be honest with you, church, as I'm on my knees praying for those people in my life, I just don't see how God's going to make it happen. Are you with me? I don't know about you, but there's some requests on my prayer list that, that might fall under the impossible category. Maybe it's working in someone's life, or God, would you, would you help me with this? God... I, I really need guidance in this issue, and it seems like it's never going to come. God, would you please lead me? God, would you please help me to grow in this area? I keep falling on my face in sin. Would you please help me to get over this bump in my life, and it seems like it's impossible. I don't see how it's going to work out. Maybe there's some things coming up in the new year. Career opportunity, a business opportunity, uh, a pregnancy announcement, you have another baby on the way, there's something exciting around the corner, some of you, it may be a promotion, some of you may be retirement, hallelujah, and there's something around the corner, and, and I know as well as you do, that those things can be exciting, but how many of you would agree that those things can also bring a lot of insecurity and a lot of doubt? God, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen. 
And I look at what's on my slate this next year, man, even next week, and I just don't know how I'm going to get through it. Sometimes, it just seems like all of God's plans seem to only include impossibilities. But here's the problem, church. If we're going to live for God, there's going to be times, man, all the time, where God is going to call you and he's going to call me to walk by faith. What does the Bible say? For we walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. And sometimes we just don't see how it's going to line up. But guess what? That's how it's supposed to be. Because as Christian, we are not called to walk by, by sight. We are called to walk by faith. And I'm so thankful that as we look in Luke chapter number one, and as Mary herself is struggling with doubts, and she's having this internal dialogue like a lot of us have, uh, have. God, how am I going to do this? God, how am I going to get over this obstacle? That when we have questions of doubt, God has answers of reassurance. That when you and I struggle and, and can't wrap our minds around how God is going to work something out, I'm so thankful that God sends a messenger. God sends his word. God sends something into our lives to say, let me reassure you a bit and let me help you trust me in this situation. I want you to look at verse 35. It says, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Now hold on a second. Mary said, Gabriel, could you please explain to me how as a virgin I'm going to conceive a son? I'm no Bible scholar, but verse 35 doesn't do a great job explaining exactly how that's going to happen. It just says, God's going to make it happen. I don't think Gabriel really answered her question. I think she was like, explain the details, you know? Uh, but Gabriel just says, God's going to do it. You don't need to get married to Joseph early. You don't need to rush this marriage thing. God's going to make it happen, and it's going to happen by God's power. But um, I don't know about you, but me as a how guy, I would have said, please give me a little bit more detail. Would you agree God works like that sometimes? <laughs> God, please give me more detail. Nope. <laughs> Trust me. Really, when we ask God for detail, he just says, I'm, I've got it taken care of. And, and here's the principle here. You might write this down or put it in your phone. Uh, this speaks to me, that you don't have to understand completely to trust God immediately. You don't have to understand how it's all going to work out, church. And, and can, I, can, I just, can I just be direct with you? Because I need this message just as much as anyone else in here needs it. Could you please stop asking God for more details and please stop prying and hoping, God, would you please give me more information? Because when you try to do that, you are no longer walking by faith. You are now walking by sight. You don't have to understand God's plan completely to trust him immediately. Then what does the angel do? He says, let me show you 
how God is working in other people's life, and he's not bound by the physical in other people's life. Look at verse 36. He says, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. I don't think Gabriel had a lot of tact. He says, your cousin's old and she's barren. And he says, God has miraculously allowed her to conceive too. You know, you know what I think Gabriel's getting at there? That sometimes when we, we struggle with doubting God and we can't see how God can work it out in our situation, aren't you thankful that we live in a community of believers that when I'm struggling with something, almost every single time, I can look across the aisle. I can look in a different section of the church. And I can look at people in our church who've had the same struggle of faith. And had to walk by faith in that same type of situation. And I can look at people that God's worked in their life. God's provided in their life. God's directed in their situation. And when I look at what God has done in their situation, I can say, I serve a big God. I'm just going to trust him in this. Church, can I encourage you to stay hooked up to this church? Because that is one of the main ways God uses the church to encourage us. Because it's one thing for Mike or Pastor Tyler or Pastor Prater to preach a message, but it's a whole other thing for you to look at someone in another row who's walked by faith, who's dealt with the same struggles you've dealt with, and God has seen them through it all. It's a whole other thing. But here's really Gabriel's answer to Mary's doubts. She says, how, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And, and here's really his answer. It's real simple in verse 31. Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. God, how are you going to allow me to conceive as a virgin? And here's what the angel says. You know how God's going to allow you to conceive as a virgin? You know how God's going to allow Elizabeth, that old barren lady, to conceive? You know how? Because God is not limited by the impossible. Because when God speaks something into existence, it doesn't occur to God what is physically impossible or possible. You know, it never really occurred to God when Joshua prayed, Hey, can you stop the sun so we have more sunlight? to kill these enemies, it never occurred to God, oh, you know, um, gravity says that the sun's supposed to, or that the earth is supposed to continue around the sun. God just said, yeah, I'll just stop that. And, and literally, the idea there is that whatever God says will become possible. That God's not bound by gravity. God's not bound by physical limitations in our body. God is not bound by you, and he's not bound by me. Whatever God says, here's the truth in this passage, that God's plans only include possibilities. And church, I, I, I wish tonight, I, I don't know where everyone is, I wish tonight I could look into your situation and I could say, here's how God's going to get you through this. I wish I could tell you, you know, here's how you're going to get over this situation that happened to you, that's traumatized you. I wish I could look you in the eyes and tell you how God's going to work everything out in your marriage. I wish I could tell you all the details of how God's going to draw that person back to him. But you know what? I can't do that. But you know what we can all be reminded of? That we serve a God who is bigger than any limitation we try to place on him. We serve a God who, who doesn't have to worry about stubborn people. We serve a God who doesn't really care about financial situations because he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. 
I think really what Gabriel's trying to remind Mary, and maybe what he wants to remind Fellowship Baptist Church, is that we serve a big, big God, and no matter what comes into our life, if God is in it, we can trust him to take care of it. Because God's plans only include possibilities. He's the God of the impossible. It's more than just a cute Christmas story. This is a story of an ordinary girl who couldn't quite make sense of what God was trying to do. And the angel Gabriel said to her, you know what, maybe you should just trust God because God is not limited by impossibilities. I want us to have an, a time of invitation if our instrumentalists can make their way. I want you to look as they come at verse number 38 because the text doesn't stop there. God spoke, but Mary responded. Look what she says in verse number 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. You know, what, you know what's there? You know what the idea is there? It's two things. How did Mary respond? She responded with worship and submission. Worship Submission, she says, behold the handmaid of the Lord. She's saying there, I'm your slave girl, God. I think really why she said that is, God, I have no right to question you. You are God, and I'm just a slave. I have no right to talk back to my master. I have no right to question his ability to accomplish something. She worshiped. God, you say you're not limited by the impossible. I am your servant. But then it's submission. She says, be it unto me according to thy word. She's saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do. I really don't know how this whole conception thing's going to happen. But God, do whatever you want to do and I'll accept it. I think a lot of us would be helped if we just got down on our knees and said, God, I know you're bigger than anything I'm worried about. And God, whatever you want to do in my life, let it happen. And I'll trust you and I'll submit to you in it. Be it unto me according to thy word. Let's stand. Father, I, I'm, I'm so grateful.